Well, uh, yes, most of you don't really know me, so I thought I would tell you a story about myself just so that we can get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, when I was seven, my older sister and I decided that we had to have a Cabbage Patch Kid. Now, uh, a Cabbage Patch Kid wasn't just any kind of doll that you could buy. This was your baby that you would love and cherish for the rest of your life, all right? A Cabbage Patch Kid. It was very, very important. Uh, pretty much everyone at school had one, so clearly we had to have one as well. Uh, but the thing about a Cabbage Patch Kid is that it actually came with its very own birth certificate, it came with its own predestined name, and it came with a signature of the creator of Cabbage Patch Kids inked on its bottom. You just don't get dolls as good as you did back in the middle of the 80s, right? The only thing is, this doll also came at the amazing price of $50. You can still buy them for $50 now. This was 30 years ago, $50 for a doll. But really, I mean, it was your baby that you were going to love and cherish for the rest of your life. I mean, priceless, right? So uh, my mother, who loves and cares for us very deeply and wants the best for us, said to us that uh, she would take my sister, my older sister and I, to the toy store. And we could choose whichever toy we wanted. And she would give us to contribute to this toy $20. Now, still quite generous and quite a, a lovely act of my mother, but my sister and I had been saving for quite some time, and so we both had the additional $30 in our savings that we could buy this brand new Cabbage Patch doll baby for us to love and cherish forever with the birth certificate, the predestined name, and the signature of the creator on its bottom. So uh, off we went to the toy store and uh, we went and stood in the aisle of the Cabbage Patch Kids and my sister did not hesitate. She had a look at all the, the beautiful dolls. She chose her very own baby that she would love and cherish for the rest of her life and she was straight off to the cash register, handed over her savings and she got her Cabbage Patch Kid that had its own birth certificate, its predestined name, Katie Marie, and its signature on Katie Marie's bottom. And off she went. I, however, just hesitated just a little bit. As I stood in the aisle, I looked at the $30 in my hand, probably of all 20 and 50 cent pieces that I'd been saving, and I looked at all the Cabbage Patch Kids that were before me, beautifully presented, all amazing. I knew that they had their predestined name and their signature and their birth certificate. But I just looked across a little bit on the shelf to some other dolls that were there. And just beside the Cabbage Patch Kids were actually dolls that they called Funny Kids. Not a great name, but pretty much a rip-off of Cabbage Patch Kids. They looked very similar. They had the same kind of style hair, same kind of style clothing. The only problem was is that they did not have a birth certificate. They did not have a predestined name 
and they did not have a signature of the creator on their bottom. However, they did come at the retail price of $20. And so I stood there in the doll aisle, realising that this was pretty much going to be the biggest decision of my whole life, right? So, as I stood there and I looked and I wondered, what did I decide? Well, let me introduce you to Vicky, my funny kid, at the very special retail price of $20. She did not have a birth certificate. She did not have a predestined name. How I came up with Vicky, I cannot remember. She does not have a signature on her bottom. But I tell you what, I loved and cared for her for a very long time, probably too long a time as I was in my teenage years, but still quite happy playing with dolls. The thing about Vicky is that I loved her and cherished her just as much as I would any Cabbage Patch doll that I decided I couldn't afford to buy. Uh, and I am now not seven, I am quite a bit older, and yet have moved so many times, but cannot give her up because she was my very first baby who I loved and cherished as my very own. It was at that point that I realised that money doesn't necessarily make you happy. Spending all the money that you have and the money that you have saved doesn't necessarily have to be the core of your happiness. And it's really interesting as we're heading towards Christmas how much our culture and the shops and the telly tell us that really if you want to be happy, you need to spend, you need to buy, you need to consume, you need to have as much as you possibly can. But as we lead up to Christmas, with all of you here knowing full well that the meaning of Christmas is not to buy and to consume, but is actually about a baby that was born and has changed history forever, but it's really easy for us to slip into the same culture as everyone else in the world that thinks we have to spend, we have to consume, we have to buy, we have to have as much as we possibly can for our Christmas to really give us contentment and fulfilment. Uh, four weeks ago in the news, so eight weeks before Christmas, it said that we would spend... We, Australians, not anyone overseas, but us here in Australia, would spend $1 billion a day from that point until Christmas. $1 billion a day we are spending to seek fulfilment and, and happiness and know that we've got the best that we can possibly have in life. And I guess... If that was going to make us happy, if that was going to give us everything that we could possibly ever think or dream of, then it would be worth it. I mean, a billion dollars is a lot, a lot of money, but there's a few of us around, we're sharing the load. But the thing is, is that it doesn't always make us happier. 
Uh, Scott Higgins, who works for the Baptist World Aid Australia, did some research on this. And he looked at how much we spend compared to the 1960s. So what we're spending now compared to what they used to spend in the 1960s. For anyone under 50 in the room, the 1960s was a time a little while ago in the last century. Very nice time, I believe. So, comparing. And even with all the changes in in finances and being able to determine currencies and making it all equal, they've realised that we are currently spending three times the amount of money than we did back in the 1960s. Now, three times as as much. And when a research unit at Deakin Uni looked at, well, if we're spending that much, surely we're happier. Surely we're living the high life, right? And so compared our life satisfaction in the last decade, they realised that while we're spending astronomically more every single decade, our life satisfaction is actually staying exactly the same. We're told that if we want to be happier, we need to spend money, we need to buy things, we need to have what everyone else is having. We need to have the right shoes, the right house, the right car. We need to be able to consume everything we possibly can. That's going to make us happy. And yet all these statistics show that actually it does not make us happier. It's a bit like this jar of jelly beans. Have I got everyone's attention now? Everyone's kind of set up a little bit like a meerkat. The jelly beans. All right. In our world, we are told that we should get as much as we possibly can so that we can be happy, so that we can feel fulfilled and have contentment. So if that was the case for me and these jelly beans, then I'm going to take the biggest handfuls I possibly can, right? All right, I've got as much as I possibly can. So clearly, this is me at my very best. This is as much as I can possibly handle. Unfortunately, pockets in the jeans are fake at the front, so I can't fill them. But two hands full, this is the best and the happiest and the most fulfilled and most content that I can possibly be. You're really hoping I drop a jelly bean, aren't you? (laughs) The thing is, is that now I have both hands full, I'm actually quite restricted in what I can do. You see, I can move over this side, but I, I have no capacity or flexibility to do anything once I'm over here. Now, I can move over to this side as well, but my, my, hands, are, my hands are full. In a, in a way, I'm kind of tied up. I'm restricted. However, if I look at these jelly beans and I think, well, they're still really nice, I'm still going to take some, not to the biggest capacity I possibly have, but I'm still going to have some, all of a sudden, I'm freed up. All of a sudden, I have more capacity, more flexibility, more adaptability to do something. So I could wave to someone that I might know in the street. I might go and meet someone that I've never met before and introduce myself. I now have the capacity to, to... greet and love my friends and family. 
I've even got the capacity to share what I have with others. You all wish you were in the front seat now, don't you? Right. All of a sudden, I have more flexibility. And most importantly, I now have the ability to praise and worship God for what I have been given. You see, our culture tells us that we need to consume as much as we possibly can and grab everything with both hands. But that doesn't necessarily give us the ultimate happiness. In the Bible, it talks about this in a book called Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament, and it's one of our wisdom books. So it gives us a lot of wisdom and advice and practical advice for our everyday. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. See, better one hand with tranquility and flexibility and adaptability than two hands with toil and restrictions and debt and financial restrictions and chasing after the wind. It's different to what our culture tells us, though. Our culture tells us to be happy. We've got to consume as much as we possibly can, but that's not the way that we're taught And it's not even the way statistics tell us that we truly seek happiness. One of the best things that are explanations of what gives us true happiness is actually the nativity story. And uh, I'm going to look at uh, two versions of the nativity story, so the the birth of Jesus, and I'm going to look at two different types of people. So I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to explore the richest person in the nativity story. The person who had the most wealth, had the most that they could ever want, and that was actually King Herod. So King Herod had so much wealth and so much access to to all the riches in the whole kingdom. And you know what? He did pretty well at using them up. He was big on building and constructing cities and temples and amazing things. He himself had seven palaces. Seven. You know, you might have a home near Blackburn, maybe a country house, you know, a holiday house. Now, seven palaces. And yet, was he happy? Was he fulfilled? Did he have contentment? Do you know what? He lived in such a way, he he truly had two hands full in everything that he had. But he was so worried and so anxious about losing it that he ended up killing uh, three of his sons, his favourite wife. He had ten, sure, but his favourite wife, one of his mother-in-laws, a couple of cousins. He drowned a high priest and killed a few of his uncles. To me, that doesn't sound like someone who feels fulfillment and contentment and true happiness. And then he hears that a new ruler is to be born. And this is the response that he has. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And we'll read to verse 8 and then I'll jump over to verse 16. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea... During the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Jerusalem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So the Magi went, they met with Jesus, they gave him gifts, but discovered in a dream that in actual fact, King Herod did not want to go and worship Jesus, but was fearful of him. So they went home a different way. And in verse 16 of chapter 2, it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. King Herod, he had everything he could possibly ever want as far as wealth. He could spend whatever he he wanted. He could get all the newest gadgets and palaces and anything he wanted. And yet here he was. No happier, but feeling protective and anxious and fearful of what he had. So much so that he became a murderer of people close to him, as well as people and children that he'd never even met. That we are told if we have everything we could possibly want, surely that will make us happy. It certainly wasn't the case for King Herod. Then we go to the other end of the spectrum with the nativity story, the poorest person in the story. Now, wasn't able to get everyone's financial records from 2,000 years ago of uh, those that were represented in the nativity story, but from history and what it tells us, I believe that the shepherds weren't the most respected and loved and uh, richest people in the community. So we have the shepherds who didn't have seven palaces, in fact, didn't even have one palace, but slept out in the fields with their sheep to make sure that they were safe. We have the shepherds who were represented really and often outcast and and pushed out of the society and community because, well, they lived out with the sheep and, you know, they they weren't in the cities and they weren't in the towns. They were often rejected And they certainly didn't have the wealth of King Herod. However, they heard the exact same story that King Herod heard. We're going to read about what their response was in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. So we've heard about King Herod in all his wealth and his response. Now we hear about the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here we have the poorest people in the story. Now, they weren't the poorest people in the whole community. We'd say, you know, they had their sheep, they had some kind of income, so they probably had their one handful. But when they were told the greatest news in all our history because they weren't so consumed with what they had, they actually had the capacity, the flexibility and the adaptability to pick up their staff and go into Bethlehem themselves. They went themselves to see of this incredible thing that had happened. Once they'd gone into Bethlehem, they then had the opportunity to go and spread the word and tell everyone that they saw about this incredible news and about this incredible story that that God had told them themselves. And once they had done that, they returned. And what did it say? They returned worshipping and praising God. You see, we are often told that for us to be happy and feel fulfilled, we need to have everything we possibly can. Spend, spend your money. It's Christmas time. When else can you spend? Spend it. It will make you happy. It will make other people happy. And yet this story, the true meaning of, of our Christmas season tells us in itself that spending doesn't necessarily make you happy. But actually what makes you happy is spending time with God. When the shepherds came forward and spent time with God and actually met Jesus himself, that is when they had fulfilment and they worshipped and they praised God for what they had seen and experienced. And do you know what? God actually has a great desire for each one of us to be happy. Not just a trite happiness of, oh, yeah, isn't this nice? But no, he wants us to have fulfillment and joy and happiness. And he says it all throughout the Bible. Uh, In the, the New Testament, it says he wants you to have life abundantly. He desires that your joy may be complete. In Isaiah, it says he wants gladness and joy to overtake you. In the Psalms, he takes great delight in you. In Hosea, it says he will love you freely. And in Zephaniah, he will rejoice over you with singing. God desires for us to have fulfillment and rejoicing and happiness and contentment in our life. And and he has all the resources available to him in the whole world. 
And so what did he do to allow us to have this happiness? Did he plant a money tree in all of our backyards so that we would never have to worry about debt, we could buy whatever we wanted and there would be never any concerns about money? Unfortunately, not. Because he knew that actually would not bring us happiness. But what he did is he gave us the ultimate gift by actually bringing himself to earth so that we could have a greater understanding of him, so that we could spend more time in a greater understanding of who God is and spend our lives living like Jesus did. Not just so that we could make the world a better place, but so that we could have a connection with our God who desires great things for our lives. So as we lead up to Christmas, it's so easy for us to think, well, what do you want for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas? Already I'm asking people, I know it's only four weeks away, but I'll chat to the kids and I'll say, so what's on your Christmas list? No, have you, got, have you got something special that you're wanting? See, it's not just about how much we're spending, but how much are we asking for at Christmas? And we ask for it because we want it. It'd be nice. It'll make us happy for a set period of time. But what a great opportunity for us at Christmas time to actually stop and instead of thinking how much we're going to spend or how much someone is going to spend on us, have a think about the thing that gives us true happiness and true contentment and true fulfilment is actually spending time with God. Already you are doing that tonight. You have committed to coming to church or being a part of activities this afternoon to come and be closer to God in that, singing the songs, being a part of the service, giving of your offerings, listening to the word. That is one great step. But the great thing about God is that we don't actually have to wait until Sunday to spend time with him. That we can do it at any time. You can put on your favourite worship song at home. You can go off for a walk and spend time with God. There are so many different ways that we can connect with God and spend time with him rather than thinking about spending our money or having other people spend money for us to make us happy. And if we want to share true happiness and true joy at Christmas time, it's lovely to share gifts. And this isn't about not giving gifts. We're still talking about having 